Hello, everyone, and welcome back to To The Point Podcast. Hope everybody's doing well on this Monday. It's been a minute since we've chatted. Um, last week, I went to Boston for a few days with my dad. It was a great trip. Um, it was honestly just good to spend time with him. Uh, you know, I'm close with my dad, but uh, at the same time, you don't get to spend, you know, one-on-one time with somebody for, you know, three days and you're stuck, uh, in, in a car. And, and honestly, I, I enjoyed the entire trip. So nothing bad to report from there. Nothing really crazy. Um, just to take you inside the curtain a little bit uh, behind the curtain. Sorry. I am a cheap person. I went to a Red Sox game and I went to a Bruins game. I did not buy one thing at either of these games that includes a beer peanuts a hat nothing did not buy one thing my cheapness also i don't root for teams i didn't want to buy any memorabilia my dad actually ended up buying me a fenway park uh sweater so he was he's not cheap we're very vastly different me and him but that was the one expense that was made and that was about me and him uh, him buying me a sweater. Other than that, nothing really crazy. What well, got to see Shohei Otani pitch. That guy is the real deal. Seven innings, 11 strikeouts. I, it was fantastic. Mike Trout did not play. That was a downer, but to see, to get to see Shohei Otani pitch when he was, it was almost, he was almost scratched because of a hamstring injury. The dude's legit. I wouldn't rule out him winning the MVP again this year because I think he's going to find it with his bat. And that will only gain more and more momentum if the Angels can continue to play good baseball. They currently sit tied for first in the American League West. Bruins game. We're going to talk about that series today. The majority of this podcast is going to be recapping what happened over the weekend, the series so far, and where I see things going. But... um, If you're going to go to a playoff game, I've been to three. I've been to one in Tampa. I've been in one in Ottawa, and I've been to one in Boston. Boston was the best atmosphere, and this is the first round. I saw Ottawa play uh, Pittsburgh in the conference final, game four. Nothing like this atmosphere. People were excited. It was loud. People in Boston are not everybody's cup of tea. I wouldn't want to wear an opposing jersey to a Bruins game, but it's a fantastic atmosphere. The people are passionate. They love the Bruins. You don't have to like Boston. You don't have to like the people. But I think you have to respect just how much they care about their team. So I I give props to the Bruins fans. It was by no means a library, and it's a great place to watch a game. So that's kind of my recap from last week. Um, I'll talk about some players that I really – I like before, I like even more now watching them live. And um, we'll do that as I get to the Bruins Canes series as we do our recap uh, today. But yeah, today it's mostly going to be talking about the Stanley Cup playoffs, the series. Um, try to get into some UFC, lots of drama from over the weekends. Uh, a okay pay per view because one of the title fights was the most boring fight I've ever seen, but it also had maybe the nastiest knockout in the history of the sport tied into it. So it was a very, it was a weird uh, event because it was really entertaining. And at the same time, a complete snooze fest. Um, I mentioned last week 
that I wanted to start a gambling segment, kind of do that every day. We're going to, I'm going to release my picks on stories, Facebook, hopefully on Instagram as well. That's, I'm going to do that every day. Every day is a podcast. I'm going to release kind of the best bets. This segment is going to be called Feast or Famine because in gambling, you win or you lose. You eat or you don't. So Feast or Famine, best bets, best picks. And if you if I say these picks, they don't win. Yes, I was wrong. But at the same time, I... I don't really, I, I, I'm not going to feel bad for you if you made the bet and you lose. That's just the way I operate. But feast or famine will happen every day. I'm going to do that at the end of every show. But that is a new wrinkle with the show. I think gambling is getting more and more popular. I've seen it at, at, at games. And I I enjoy doing it too. I've been doing it more lately. I bet I'll, I'm going to incorporate hockey and other things, but I bet on a lot of golf. That's where I make my money basically gambling. You can get some good lines. I'll talk about that as we get into the feast or famine section later in the show. So that's going to be it for about the housekeeping elements here. Let's get into, let's get into the game yesterday. You know, I didn't want to start with this series because it's so cliche, but there's something that's been on my mind and I find it really, really compelling, interesting, and I'm perplexed as to why this is the way it is. In basketball, in football, superstar players that come up small are criticized until the cows come home. James Harden, LeBron James. I mean, LeBron won. He gets criticized all the time. But it seems that just players are often criticized, often lambasted for when we're in, when things don't go the right way. You play terrible in game seven, that is on your resume, that will be on your casket and when you die. That, that is just who you are. And I don't see the same narrative in hockey. And some might argue that that's a good thing, that it's good that you you respect, you appreciate what Connor McDavid, what these great players have done. And I agree with to some level, but what I don't understand is when a player that is supposed to deliver, that is supposed to be an elite performer and he isn't that great in the regular season and he doesn't produce in the playoffs. I don't understand why that player gets off scot-free. And I believe this athlete, this player has been coddled, has been protected by media, which is basically a bunch of fans for a long period of time now. And the player that I'm referencing, the player that I cannot believe why they are still skating by unscathed is John Tavares. John Tavares of the Toronto Maple Leafs has been in Toronto for four seasons. He has done what? Since his rookie season, since his first year, his rookie year in Toronto, he's never matched that point total. He's never matched that goal total. He's gotten injured in big moments. Okay, that's not his fault, but nevertheless, he didn't play last year in the playoffs. That's just a fact. And through the first four games of this year's playoffs, he has been a complete no show. And yet, I don't hear an article. 
I don't hear many pointed questions to John Tavares. It's just, well, John Tavares is our favorite son who wears the jammies that grew up a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. Well, I'd rather have a player that grew up a Bruins fan if he could get the job done. But yet it, it remains a mystery to me. Why does this player get no criticism, get no bad, no right, no write-ups, nothing, just complete anonymity, just John Tavares is great. John Tavares is great in the community. He's a great leader, although you never hear him make a, a speech or say anything that would motivate anybody other than maybe to quit what you're doing altogether. Uh, but nothing. He can play terrible, which he has in these four games. He can lose his speed, but it's almost as if we accept it. It's almost as if well, yeah, we know he makes $11 million, but uh, we know he's not that good of a player anymore. Well, I remember when John Tavares was signed in Toronto. It was on Canada Day, and I was surrounded by a lot of Leaf fans. And there was just a great atmosphere. There was nothing but positivity from my friends. And now I think, well, I don't get any texts about the that player who comes up small, it's always Matthews, it's always Marner, it's Jack Campbell, it's never John Tavares. And why is that? Leaf fans, if you're listening, if you're in the chat, if you listen to the podcast after, seriously, let me know. Why is he never talked about as being one of the key reasons that the Toronto Maple Leafs win jack shit? Is he not part of the problem last night? The captain of the team where you're up 2-1 in the series, you could potentially go up 3-1 going home, and you come up and have a flat effort? You have a no-show? You don't show any emotion? You don't come out with any heart, and the game was over before the puck was dropped? Does he not face any of that? Or is it Sheldon Keith, the coach? Or is it Austin Matthews, the player? Or is it Justin Hall, the worst defenseman on the team? Does the captain bear no guilt in that? Because I haven't heard a cent of it. There's nothing. Now, the fact that Toronto lost last night, is that 100% John Tavares' fault? No. But what I'm leaning towards is you have a best two out of three. Toronto's still in a great position to win this series. But does anyone really believe that John Tavares is going to have a big impact on Toronto winning? Is he going to be a difference maker? Because I don't, if they win, it will not be because of him. Mark that down. I just, his speed is getting worse and worse. He's never in the right position. He's going to catch nobody. I don't understand it. I, I just, he hasn't been a superstar since coming to Toronto. He was in his first season. Since then, he has one of the worst contracts in hockey. Period. He makes $11 million and he's your second line center? He isn't. Because now you're moving Nylander around the lineup to try to get something going. Nylander, it's almost better when Nylander doesn't play with Tavares because you're getting more production. Now, I could criticize William Nylander too because he played like hot trash last night as well. But I just find it perplexing that this guy 
who makes so much money, who is beloved, but yet he delivers nothing. He doesn't get any criticism. He just skates by. Jason Spezza has taken more criticism, has taken more shots than John Tavares nationally. Old man Jason Spezza. Yeah, he can't skate anymore. He's played. He's 38 years old. He's spent. He's played over 1,000 games. We understand that. Tavares is supposed to still be in his prime. Not so much. Now, last night's game. If I was a Leaf fan, I'd still be pretty confident that you could win this series. I thought Toronto win this series in six games. I'm not going to back off that opinion because they still have the opportunity to do that. What would concern me is that you had an opportunity last night to put to get a stranglehold, to really cinch in that you're going to win, and you didn't do it. You did the opposite of it. You didn't even show up. I don't know if they were still sipping cocktails on the pier in Tampa or what the hell went on, but it was over. They, Tampa scored a minute in. You didn't have to watch more in the first period. The game was over, period. Not one Leaf player played well last night. William Nylander scores a couple goals in garbage time. Irrelevant. You lost 7-3. Could have been 7 nothing. That's basically what it was. Um, but as I... As I look at this, the big picture, Jack Campbell had his worst game of the series last night. Was it all his fault? No. Maroon goal, although that was a hell of a play by the big rig, who's a fourth liner. But he he made the first save. Defenseman didn't clear the puck out. That's on defenseman. Ross Colton's goal, the fourth or fifth one. There were so many last night, I lose count. That can't go in. Pee Wee goalie makes that save. That can't go in. To me, the first goal can't go in either. Stamkos is shot from the point. He's not screened. He sees it. He didn't make the save. That's a bad goal. So those two are bad. The Perry goal, he had no chance. No chance on that play. Maroon, the big rig. Belmar, you could argue he should have made that save. That was a really good shot, however. But it's a problem when Tampa's fourth line all has a goal. And that fourth line is Maroon, who isn't exactly Mr. Skill or Mr. Finesse or Mr. In Shape. Uh, Pierre Belmar, who is a veteran, and the worm, Corey Perry, who the league nobody wanted. And then Tampa just said, okay, well, we'll take him. Um, Toronto could have signed Corey Perry, by the way, but they decided not to, and I still think that's a mistake. But that's another story for another day. But to me, like I just pointed out, I don't think John Tavares is the answer. I don't think I think Timothy Lilligren should be inserted for Justin Hall. That's an easy switch. I don't think he should have been taken out to begin with. These I find it so funny that you lose a game and the response of head coaches is I'm going to take out my sixth defenseman. I, I was it your sixth defenseman's fault? I mean, if you watched if I watched the game I'm like, yeah, he played terrible." Like Jordan Spence was a healthy scratch last night for LA. And I root for Jordan Spence. He played for the Wildcats. Good kid. He's not ready to play. It made sense to take him out. He looks like he's got his head, you know, up as a, you know, where he's not ready to play. But was Timothy Lilligren playing so bad that Justin Hall had to be inserted? No, that was just short Sheldon Keefe changing it to say he changed it, but whatever, that's his prerogative. But for Toronto, this is very, very simple to me. 
I haven't seen Braden Point play his best game yet. That would concern me because I think he's a, a dragon that's waiting to wake up. He's waiting for Bilbo Baggins to make some noise so that he wakes up and then he's ready to start blowing fire. Kucherov hasn't played that well either in this series. The best player in the Toronto-Tampa series, both teams, give me an opinion on this, leave it in the comments. To me, it's quite simple. The best player of both teams combined throughout the entire four games has been Victor Hedman. I think, I think he's playing unbelievable. I haven't seen him made, make many mistakes. He's, his passing is incredible. He's been better than any Leaf. He's been better than any other member of the Tampa Bay Lightning. But so if I was Toronto, I'd be worried about those two. Kucherov, Point, will they wake up and be even better? Then I think they've just been okay so far. But I just mentioned, I don't think John Tavares is going to make a difference. He doesn't most games, so I'm not going to rely on him. This is on Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. Like it should be, like it always is. Austin Matthews was a zombie. Was a just was did he play in Tampa? Did he play game three or game four? Because you couldn't convince me to the contrary, because he did nothing of consequence. He did nothing that would especially last night, he was a nothing burger. He was just there floating around. Marner, you notice because he plays penalty kill. So then you're like, well, at least Marner did something. I didn't hear Matthew's name last night. He couldn't have scored a goal to stop the bleeding. He couldn't have gave a speech because Tavares is, a, is moot on the bench. He needs to be an elite player like he is. He's going to win a Hart Trophy. He won the Rocket Richard again. Those are all great in your trophy case. But... Those trophies mean so much more when you have a Stanley Cup champion next to it because it just gives you more lore. Jerome Ginla is a fantastic player, Hall of Famer, got robbed of a heart trophy, but he, he, won a, he won a rocket. He's done some good things, but they don't hold as much weight as a guy like, let's say, Scott Niedermeyer who won Norse trophies, but he's won Stanley Cup champions. He's done so many good things in his career. If you're a champion, if you're a winner, all those individual awards are skyrocketed even more. Because not only did you have a fantastic solo career alone with points, but you were also a champion. You're also part of a winning team. Nick Lidstrom, seven Norse trophies. He's also a Stanley Cup champion. It makes it a little bit better. So... For Matthews, come out to play in game three. From puck drop, not wait into the game. Not, okay, we got to figure, no. Come out with energy, come out ready to play, period. I'm not seeing that enough. You have last change. If there's a matchup you don't want, Anthony Sorelli is a tough matchup. He plays extremely hard. I give him credit for that. But, you tell me you can't get by Anthony Sorelli? So if it's if they lose to Tampa this year, it would be the narrative would be Matthews could not go up against Philippe Dano and Anthony Sorelli. Two guys who are limited offensively but play a good defensive center role. So the best forward in the NHL couldn't beat two defensive centers? You couldn't win that individual matchup? How good are you? 
Same thing we said about McDavid this year. I'm going to talk about LA and Edmonton a bit. You can't beat the Kings, the young Kings, with a battered back end. That's on your resume. But Matthews and Marner, it doesn't change. You're tied 2-2. Toronto is still in the proverbial catbird seat because they have home ice. You win both games at home, you're going to the second round. You end the curse. The fan base will rejoice. It's like winning a Stanley Cup in Toronto. And I mean that in the most positive way positive, in the possible. Sorry, I'm not saying it you know, hysterically or, or trying to make fun of Lee fans. Enjoy it. But if you lose, it's the, still the same question. You had a whole nother year of lessons. We learn things. Terrible students because you have to keep on learning year after year over year. And you figured nothing out. Do I expect a whole lot from John Tavares? No. Do I expect William Nylander to go into a corner to get a loose puck? No. He brings something, work effort, and taking a hit to make a play. He's not going to be – you're not – a player who didn't do it in the regular season – and you've seen him not do it so far, is not going to change his spots right away. So expecting something different is just not realistic, in my opinion. So I would just drop that thought. He's not going to do it. Get over it. <laughs> so now it's up to Marner, Matthews. Morgan Riley's played well in this series. Give him credit. I think he's played extremely well. Muzzin has his moments. But your best players have to be your best players. They weren't in Tampa. Marner and Matthews were not. So you get home, sleep in your own bed tonight. You know it's a big game. Do you have that killer instinct? That's what it takes. Closing out series. Scoring big goals. Yes, Colorado has an easy matchup with Nashville, but McCarr scored a big goal in game two. That overtime game, what if it's a split going back to Nashville? Then you never know. Now it's 3-0. It looks like they're cruising. They can rest their starting goalie tonight with his eye injury. That's how things can change. You could have had a much different game in game five. You go in a little loose. You play. I don't think you're as pressured. But now you've got a game where I'll say this. with the I think if the Leafs win tomorrow night, they will win this series. They lose tomorrow night, it's over. It's not coming back to Toronto. Because there's no way this team, with the makeup that they have, is are going to win two must-win games against the two-time reigning defending Stanley Cup champions. I just can't envision it. That this group of players, as soft-minded as they are, can do it. But can they win this series? Absolutely. But your best players have to be your best players. Figure out the John Tavares issue after the fact. Hope that he can find something in the second round once you get past Tampa. It might be Washington. Washington's up on Florida. Who knows? Maybe catch a break. And Florida's eliminated. You never know. Nobody thought Montreal would be in the Stanley Cup final last year. They got there. Sometimes you just need the right break. You get by this tough team it could open up a whole lot of options for you. But you play like you did in game two. You play like you did last night. You're going to get your ass kicked. And they held on to a lead in game three. 
They're up 3-0. They wanted to lose the game, but they held on. So do that again. But from puck drop tomorrow night, and we'll talk about this game tomorrow, there needs to be a state, a sense of urgency. There needs to be emotion. There needs to be something that you see. And also, don't have Justin Hall on the ice the first shift of the period. I saw today on Twitter, and if you didn't hear this, I, I think this was a great, I don't know who this media person was. I wish I did. Probably not a Toronto person because it was a good question. Uh, but he asked Sheldon Keefe, he said, what was your worst defenseman do, you know, doing on the ice in the first shift of the game? Good question. You asked me. Pointed. Prodding. I think it's a good question. And Sheldon Keefe said, well, who's my worst defenseman? And the reporter confidently said back, Justin Hall. And uh, Sheldon Keefe said, I guess that's just your opinion. Well, Sheldon Keefe, I think that's your opinion because uh, who has healthy scratched in the first two games of this series? Oh, yeah, Justin Hall. So you actually, you also think he's your worst defenseman because if I had to bet, he'll be healthy scratched tomorrow night. So actually, it was a good question. You just didn't want to admit that you decide who goes on the ice the first shift of the game. You fucked up. You made a wrong read. You made a coaching error, and you didn't want to. You didn't want to accept it. Yell at your players for making the wrong play, but the coach screws up. Own your own your actions. I make mistakes all the time in the podcast. When I make a prediction and I'm wrong, I say it the next show. I make it clear I was wrong about this. Apparently, Sheldon Keefe doesn't have the courage, doesn't have the balls to admit that he was wrong. But I applaud that media member. That was a good question. It took some guts to say it because Sheldon Keefe up there, head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs, he's got an aura about him, I guess. But good, good for that media member. Good question. Bring the heat to these coaches. They don't just get to skate by. Just because he gets to in Toronto because they don't ask him any tough questions. Doesn't mean if you're a Tampa reporter, you can't ask a tough question. That's what the media is supposed to do. Softballs, politics, coaching, uh, sports. It seems now, whatever side you're on, you ask them easy questions. The other ones ask you, the other one, you ask your side the easy ones. Maybe getting Democrats, Republicans, Toronto, Tampa, whatever, ask those tough questions. I think they're interesting. That's just one man's opinion, but good on that media member and keep asking those tough questions. But Tampa is now 16-0 and following a loss the past two postseasons and the two games this year. Incredible. <laughs> Incredible. They, they just answer every time. And um, we'll see what Toronto's got tomorrow night. Like I said, we'll talk about this series tomorrow. But um, big, big win for Tampa last night as they head back to Toronto, tied up at two. Let's go to uh, Bruins Canes. Uh, I was gonna. We'll talk about Edmonton in a minute, but I, like I said I attended this, this series, this game, uh, game three on Friday night, and coming into this game, Boston was dead. Boston had nothing in this series. No energy. No fight. They were dead to rights. 
But what we saw in these two games, to me, was the power of elite skill and just championship pedigree. Because in the first two games, the perfection line of Brad Marchand, David Pasternak, and Patrice Bergeron were broken up. Pasternak was on the second line with Taylor Hall, who's been floundering all postseason long. And you just, it just didn't feel the same way. Uh, Carolina got whatever they wanted against the Boston Bruins, and it was just man against boys. But in the two games in Boston, with the, with the line back together, Brad Marchand had eight points, Pasternak had four, and Bergeron had four. It was domination, Holmes. Brad Marchand was the first star of both games. He just, he is one of the biggest pain in the asses in the NHL. But Brad Marchand is the new Corey Perry. And what I mean by that is Corey Perry in his prime was one of the best players in the NHL. Art Ross, he, Stanley Cup winner, uh, Hart Trophy. He was all of that. And in his later years, he's transitioned into an irritant, into a fourth-line player, and he's just not what he used to be. But Marshan is the new Corey Perry. Not as tall, maybe not not in the weight class of picking on guys, but his passing ability, the way he finishes around the net, and just his intelligence on the ice is through the roof. There's... It's very rare that Brad Marchand is in the wrong place at the wrong time. He knows where the puck's going to be. He makes smart passes to Bergeron. And Bergeron's best skill is finding availability in the front of the net. Finding space, open space, where he can move the puck, where he can find lanes, where he can score goals in tight like he did yesterday. They they just know where each other are going to be. And it really struck me Thursday night that although the first two games were terrible, the Boston Bruins were not worried at all about the Carolina Hurricanes. And I can tell this by warm-up. Boston was so loose, Pasternak must have given out seven pucks to fans. Marchand gave three or four to fans. It was very lackadaisical. It was very laissez-faire. But also, Marshan, Bergeron, and Pasternak were the last three players off the ice in warm-up. Their top three players. It was very just calm. They weren't worried. They weren't concerned. Back in Beantown, it was as if, okay, series starts now. Series only starts when we lose a home game, and Boston didn't over the weekend. They didn't have Charlie McAvoy yesterday or Hampus Lindholm on the back end and they won the game comfortably. Carolina ha- has a horrid power play. Two for 22 in the series. You're not winning like that, period. They're not getting enough high-quality scoring chances. With 10 minutes left in the game yesterday, they had 20 shots. That's not enough. Jeremy Swayman has played good in the two games since he's entered the series. But Jeremy Swayman is not Martin Brodeur. He's an average goaltender. He's a platoon goalie. He's not a defined starter. And yet he is just 
He's confident he can make decisions because he can see the pucks and nothing is that difficult in front of him. Over the last two days, the most dangerous forward for the Carolina Hurricanes was Vincent Trocek. I like Vincent Trocek. Pain in the ass, smart hockey player, occasionally can take stupid penalties, which makes his game a little less desirable, but he shouldn't be the most dangerous forward. Andrei Svechnikov's biggest impact on this series was almost decapitating Hampus Lindholm. That's it. He's a big body, but he did nothing in games three and four that impressed me. He needs to be a different... I just talked about the best players in Toronto. At least they played well in games one and two. I look at Sveshnikov and Aho. Where are you at? That's why that's the title of today's podcast episode. Where are you at? Because you are the best players. You make the most money. Why? Earn that. Max Domi. Kakanyemi does nothing. He's making a lot of money for zero production because I just it's a stone out there. But over the weekend, Pesci scored a goal. Slavin scores. They had scored four goals in the two games, and two of them were from the back end. That's just that tells you the whole story of this team. And yesterday, the other goal was by Jordan Stahl, who plays the third, fourth-line center role. To me, he's better than Kakaniemi because he's a better matchup guy. But that's what they brought to the table offensively. It's been a great series. You know, yesterday, all four games, are the series are now 2-2. Love it. I don't want quick series. I want to see battles. I want to see wars. But Rob Brendamore has this team, you know, play so hard for him. Well... They're, they play a structure, but when they take penalties and they, they see that each game flips on a five on three, because uh, on Friday night, it was two, one, seven minute mark. They, they get a, take a tripping penalty. Then they take a d- delay a game on that five on three. They kill it off for a minute and 40, but eventually Pasternak scores a goal. It was the backbreaker of the game. Then yesterday at the start of the third period, they got a five on three. Brad Marchand scores on the five. On, that was that was it. That was game. Boston is are connecting on their opportunities. Carolina is not. The crowd in Raleigh will help Carolina for sure, but that's not that's not everything. You also need to put pucks in the net. You also need to be aggressive. And this these two series will I think prove my theory that momentum is irrelevant in series. I don't believe in momentum. I never will. Nobody can convince me to the contrary. But if we're going off momentum being a real thing, Boston has it. Boston should win this series in six games if momentum is truly the mark of where a series is going. Carolina shouldn't win another game. I think they're going to win another game, maybe two. But Boston has killers. That gives you a chance in a series. I look at last night. Jonathan Quick is a killer. He gets a shutout in a must-win game at home. Marshan, these guys have been in Stanley Cup Finals. They know what to do. I'm going to talk about the veterans for Dallas, for Washington. These guys have won it. They've done it. They've gotten to these this type of level. There's a, there's a new generation of players. I just Matthews, these guys, uh, Aho, 
But is this the year that these guys break through or are the old guard going to continue to have it, continue to be on that perch, have have the the uh, the elite, have the the perception that they are still the the gatekeepers of this of the NHL. We'll have to wait and see. But so far, and the response from the, the Bruins indicates that Pasternak, Bergeron, McAvoy, who I, he didn't. The fact also. The fact that Charlie McAvoy couldn't play yesterday because he got COVID with no symptoms after all that we've been through, and yes, I had it a couple weeks ago, and yes, it was not fun, but the fact that he was asymptomatic and he could not play is complete bullshit to me. Two years into this, and the Democrats continue to fucking win, but uh, probably shouldn't have said that, but I'm impartial. I have voted for, uh, you know, I'm not going to get into politics here, but the fact that they continue to win on this, the NHL is the only league that is testing on a daily basis for COVID. Why? I want to see the best players play. No offense, Josh Brown, but I don't don't need to see you play. I want to see Charlie McAvoy play. He's unbelievable, by the way. He's better than I even thought he was. Watching him Friday night in person, he is the real deal, Holyfield. He's a fantastic player and good for good for hopefully he can come back in um in game uh game five. Jordan Martinuk is out. Another guy who has had a fantastic year. He's gonna make a pile of money this offseason because I, I think he's the best free agent defenseman available, is Tony D'Angelo. Tony D'Angelo is so smart with the puck. He gets pucks through. He's got a great passing ability. Do yourself a favor. Watch the Bruins tomorrow night. Uh, watch the uh, Canes-Bruins game tomorrow night because Tony D'Angelo is a lot of fun to watch. He's not Kiel McCarr. He's not Hedman. He's not on that level, but he's still a hell of a player, and he's got to watch. But we'll, we'll talk about uh, this game a little more tomorrow as well. Kings-Oilers. I mentioned coaches off the top and how you lose a game and you want to make a change just to say you made a change because you're losing. And okay, if we insert this one player, we're going to have a twist of fate and we'll be back. We'll put it back on the rails and we'll be in good shape. Well, Tom McClellan is a great head coach. In my opinion, he is extremely smart. He's been to a Stanley cup final he knows how to work with players. He knows how to develop guys. And I think he's done an extremely good job in L.A. just getting this team to the playoffs with zero expectations this year. He made a smart decision taking Jordan Spence out of the lineup. He's just He was overwhelmed. He wasn't ready. And like I said off the top, I root for Jordan Spence, but it was the correct decision. But last night, the easy thing to do in L.A. after losing 6 nothing in Game 2 after losing 8-2 in Game 3, would be to turn to Calvin Peterson, who, to his credit, has been the better goalie than Jonathan Quick this season. I even argue Calvin Peterson should have started Game 1. I'm going to contradict myself here and say I was wrong as I get to my point. But Tom McClellan said in Game 2 we were flat. In Game 3 we were terrible. We Evander Kane has been scoring at will five goals and in four games. And 
Kyler Yamamoto looks incredible, and Drysidle and McDavid, and just the whole Oilers team was firing in all cylinders. And he goes into last night's game knowing if we lose tonight at home, game four, we're likely losing in Edmonton, and we're going down in five. That's how I think it would have went. And if you're desperate, you say, okay, well, we're going to we're going to Calvin. Game four starter. We're just going to change it up. But Todd McClellan is smarter than me. Smarter than most head coaches. He said, you know what? I We played like crap. Maybe we should try to give our goaltender, give our future Hall of Famer a chance. The Conn Smythe winner. The two-time Stanley Cup champion. Let's try to give this guy a chance with play a little better in front of him. Try to at least come out of the gate playing competitive, not be down 3 nothing by the eight-minute mark like they were in game three. So he decides to go with Jonathan Quick, and he deserves credit for that. Because last night, Jonathan Quick made 35 saves and got a shutout in a must-win game. And again, this is the veteran. This is the old-timer saying, not so fast, kid. Not so fast, Oilers. I am still here. I might be 36 years old. I might be injury plagued over the last couple of years, but I still have game left. And Tom McClellan, who's a veteran coach, stuck with the veteran netminder, and it was 100% the right decision. Because sometimes you just you have to look at your team and be like, these guys sucked. We were terrible tonight. And it wasn't about the goalie. It was more about our team and our defensive structures and the fact that we didn't back check. And game three was just a disaster. It was two different teams. And last night, L.A. played like they did in game one. They were hard on pucks. They forced an Edmonton defense, which is not great to begin with, to be hemmed in their zone. And they outshot the Oilers. Mike Smith made 45 saves last night. Still led in four. So LA outshot the Oilers. They outplayed them. And what's crazy is you look at the game, Trevor Moore gets another two points. The guy, when they're winning, he is putting up, he's having good nights. Blake Lazote, who is a great, gritty little player. He's another guy that's going to be another pain in the ass for years to come. I love the way this kid plays. He's a pain. He's just, he's a pest. He's physical. He'll get in the crease. He'll piss off your goalie. And he scores a goal. He he's another guy that just makes an impact. But McClellan sticking with quick. Sometimes it's just better. I think it's extremely easy to make the change when you have a veteran who's had experience, who's played well in the playoffs, sitting behind you. For instance, yesterday the St. Louis Blues turned to Jordan Bennington. That made some sense because the guys won a Stanley Cup ring, and Billy Huso hasn't. Huso was by far the better goaltender this season, but you get in the playoffs, you get, you're get you down 2-1, you need, a, you need a win at home, you turn to the guy that's won it before. And I, I just looked last night, Carl Grundstrom, who is a pickup from the Maple Leafs, gets two goals. Trevor Moore gets two points. Troy Stetcher, who was acquired at the trade deadline, gets two points. It wasn't 
It wasn't Kopitar. It wasn't Brown. It wasn't Adrian Kempe, who's been quiet. This It was just these bunch of guys who you, you've hardly heard of. And it was a tough night. McDavid didn't create much, played 21 minutes. Nuge was invisible. Uh, Drysidle didn't have a, a good game. And you're not going to win a whole lot of games when Cody Cece plays 23 minutes. Point blank. I like Cody Cece, but not when he plays 23 minutes a night. That's way too much. Darnell, he played more than Darnell Nurse. And Edmonton got physical late in the game. Edler got involved in Blake Lizotte, like I mentioned, and even Trevor Moore finished with 12 penalty minutes. But this is the same story, but for, for Edmonton. This is a series that's on a silver platter. This Edmonton series is like the Toronto series against Montreal or the Columbus one. You should win this series. You're the better team. How many Edmonton players would you name before you get to an LA player if you're doing a, if you had a draft? McDavid, Dreisaitl, Nurse, Nugent Hopkins. Go go through the team. You get Hyman before you get to an LA guy. Okay, I'll take him on my team. And yet LA finds himself tied at two. Edmonton has on ice. They are still in the catbird seat. They should win this series. For sure. But that doesn't mean you will. It doesn't guarantee you anything. You have to come out and earn it. We'll see what they bring. But two extremely good games, LA responds. You're back at home. But these are gut check games. Because L.A. feels like they can win it again. L.A.'s a veteran team. Kopitar, Dustin, how many more kick? This team's in transition, but they also have a lot of veteran guys. Are they going to be around the next time L.A. is you know, in, in contention for a cup? Probably not. Dustin Brown has already announced he's retiring at the end of the season. This is his last kick at the can. How many more years is Kopitar going to play? He's already played a ton of hockey. How much does he have left? Drew Doughty is injured year after year. I mentioned Jonathan Quick. He's got one year left on his contract. So this LA team to me knows what kind of position they're in with their veteran core and what they're up against and what they're playing for. And I also think for Edmonton, you shouldn't look too far ahead, but you got to look to the series that you could potentially be. You get, you get the winner of Calgary-Dallas. You're telling me you're not taking a peek and saying, holy crap, we might get the Dallas Stars in the second round? Now, you could easily lose that series, but I'd rather play Dallas than play Calgary. You might get Dallas in a second round where you get home ice, or if you play Calgary, you're going on the road. So you get home ice again in the first and second round, and you're playing a Dallas team that really has one line, and you have Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan who are non-factors. Not bad. But I get I look at this game, it's just clutch Jonathan Quick, because that's what he did in 2012 and 2014. That's what he was, clutch. Big game, Jonathan Quick, he made saves, he won a consummate trophy. You can't take that away from him. Stanley Cup champion. And Todd McClellan. He's, a, he's had a great year with this team. This team has bought into Todd McClellan. They play hard for him. 
And I appreciate when a coach just sticks with his guns and says, you know, I'm, I'm going down at the ship. It's Jonathan Quick. He went to him, gets a big, big shutout last night. Series is tied. We'll see what McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Co. bring in Game 5. Play great in Games 2 and 3. You're in the same position as Toronto. You have home ice. You control your own destiny. But you have to close the deal. You have to prove that you can get past this L.A. team. It doesn't Just because you are the better team on paper, just because you're the better regular season team, does not mean you're going to win the series. Happens every year. Florida's in that same position right now. And we'll talk about that in a bit. Speaking of clutch, Dallas, I just mentioned Dallas briefly. But if you watch the Dallas Stars, I did Saturday night, watched that whole game while, while uh, watching UFC 274. You watch Dallas and they're not, they play a boring style. They are hard checking. They play tight to the vest. They try to limit high quality scoring chances. And they play a good defensive system. It's fundamental hockey. I appreciate it. If you're a hockey fan that only tunes into a few games a year, I don't think Dallas would be the team that you'd be clamoring to watch every night. But nonetheless, they make the postseason. And you look at the team, and they, they're they here. And I went into game three saying, this is an, this is an important game. More important for Calgary, the favorite in the series, to win than Dallas. And you think, well, Calgary's good enough. They'll come back. Dallas has less to offer. But Calgary is just like a Toronto, like an Edmonton. Like the three Canadian playoff teams this season all have the same narrative about them. They have great players who have great regular seasons, who win hardware, who make lots of money that haven't proved that they can produce in the playoffs, haven't proved that they can close out series, haven't proved that they have that killer instinct. And this series has a lot of different storylines for me, but the biggest one for me is Dallas has a closer. They have a clutch player. They have a guy that's been there, done that, played over a hundred playoff games And it's unfortunate he doesn't have a Stanley Cup, but I still think he believes that he has the ability to win one in Dallas. And that would be little Joe Pavelski. Joe Pavelski is clutch. He's still, he's 37 years old, but he's still a fantastic hockey player. And I realized this watching that I never knew who Braden Point reminded me of. And it came to me watching them both the past couple of days. Braden Point reminds me of Joe Pavelski because Joe Pavelski and Braden Point are both guys that probably shouldn't have had as much success as they have in the pros. Braden Point was a third round pick. Yes, a high pick, but he's undersized. He was always told he wasn't tall enough. He wasn't going to be strong enough to play in the NHL. But a couple of years later, he's a multiple time Stanley Cup champion. Gets a long-term deal. He's had already had a fantastic career. Joe Pavelski, even more rare, a seventh-round draft pick. And not only does he battle to the NHL, but he goes to San Jose. He becomes the captain of the team with 
Patrick Marlowe and Joe Thornton on the roster and becomes a living legend. One of the most clutch players on that team during that time. And while he was there, you can make a strong argument that in the, in the primes of all three of them, Joe Pavelski was better than Joe Thornton and Patrick Marlowe. He scored big goals in playoffs and you could, and in my opinion, hit this Sharks lost, not, you know, in spite of him, where he did all he could to win and some other guys came up a little small. But he's in Dallas. He got to a Stanley Cup final a few years ago. He's been to two Stanley Cups in his career and has failed to win one. And I'm not saying Dallas is going to go on a long run to get back to a Stanley Cup final like they did in in uh, 2020. But you have to give credit to a guy who's 37, who has taken over a role of being a mentor, being a leader, but he gets over close to 80 points this year, over uh, 35 goals, and has brought along Rupe Hints to become an even better player. He was more of a third-line fast guy who penalty killed and didn't have great finishing ability. Rupe Hints scores over 35 goals this year, and he also, Joe Pavelski also helps bring along Jason Robertson, who is a fantastic player and, like Pavelski, is an American and a future Olympian if the NHL players are allowed to go back there. But he is the driving force of this team. It used to be Tyler Sega and Jamie Benn's team, but a guy who is older than both of them, a guy who has had more wear and tear than both of them, is better than both of them by a wide margin. This Dallas team, had you look at them and you say, well, they got Jamie Benn, they got Tyler Sagan. They should be a really good team. You look at their forward group, Pavelski is, uh, is above them. Robertson, obviously. Rupe Hintz. Dennis Gurionov is a better player than both of them right now at this point of their career. Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn, I think Sagan would, would kind of a little higher, but Jamie Benn has become a third-line checking center that – brings little to the table offensively. He gets paid like he is, but he's not that guy anymore. He's more of a Milan Lucic than he is a Matthew Kachuk. And you'd think that this guy could be that play, but he just doesn't have that in his game anymore. So you have two former stars, Jamie Benn, who's won an Art Ross, Tyler Sagan, who went second overall, a former Stanley Cup champion with the Boston Bruins. And despite these two eroding, Despite these two not being as good of players as they once were, Dallas finds himself leading this series two games to one. And I give majority of that credit to two Jakes, Pavelski, uh, sorry, uh, Joe Pavelski and Jake Ottinger, who has been great in this series. But you also have to credit the Dallas defense, who have kept – Calgary from the front of the net. They don't give up a lot of great high-quality scoring chances. And Dallas has also – I love Matthew Kachuk. He's still my favorite player, but Dallas has done something to him that made him a player that was not as effective last year, and they've pulled him out of his game. Matthew Kachuk at his best is an elite power forward who has high-end skill for a guy that is that large of a human being. And 
what's he what's he done this series? He keeps fighting John Klingberg early in the games. He keeps getting in scrums, and he's too focused on getting a late shot in after the whistle than he is about getting a shot on goal and creating offense. He is he is being he's part of the problem and not part of the solution right now for the Calgary Flames. Calgary is not generating enough. They're not hitting the net enough. They are letting Jay Gottinger's been extremely good, but they are letting him off the hook. This top line was the best line in hockey this year, in my humble opinion. But if they are going to win this series, they need to play like it. And quite frankly, game four is tonight. They need to win the game tonight. I think it's a must win for Calgary because this Dallas team still has the those parts that got to a Stanley Cup final. Joe Pavelski's still there. They are not going to collapse. Calgary needs to go into Dallas tonight and find a way to win, period. It's On Saturday night, the best line that Calgary had was Lucic, Brett Ritchie, and... I'm forgetting, I'm forgetting the other guy in that line. But that their fourth line, uh, Trevor Lewis, where he scored the first goal. That was their best line. The fourth line of Calgary, they provided the most. They didn't have many bad shifts. Lucic got the puck to the net, and Trevor Lewis put the goal in. That was their best line on Saturday. This whole series, you could argue it's been one of the best. But the top line of Calgary needs to wake the hell up. Kachuk needs to stop worrying about what happens after the whistle and try to do something productive between the whistles. Johnny Goodrow, turning the puck over, passing too much, shoot the puck. You don't get points. You don't get more and more points for making an extra pass. How about shoot the puck once? You have a goalie in the net who is basically a rookie. Yes, he's made starts before. He had to play in the playoffs a couple of years ago. But he was he was in the AHL to start this season. You had Ben Bishop and Braden Holpe and all these guys in front of him, Anton Hudobin, and now he is the man. He's got no experience at this. <coughs> Jacob Markstrom's been good, but Ottinger's been a little better. And and Dallas has had the goal scorers. They've had the clutch players. Pavelski ties the game Saturday night and he gets the game winning goal. No surprise here. But for Calgary, first line has to be better. And I look at guys like Michael Backlund, Dylan Dubé. Can you guys bring something to the table? Can you bring some kind of offensive game? Because Calgary is too good of a team to lose to Dallas. Dallas plays a good defensive system with, with Lindell and Heisken. These guys, they play smart defensively. But this that's not an excuse. It would be... A disaster if the Flames lose to the Stars because that would be an interesting offseason. With Goudreau, an unrestricted free agent, Kachuk, a restricted free agent, and after a great regular season, what a disappointment it would be if the Flames do not get out of the first round. What if it was Stars-Kings in the second round with both Canadian teams out west bouncing out? Sure, Sportsnet would love that game. Sure, they'd love covering it and doing the ratings. We'll have to wait and see. I'll watch it. I don't care. But I don't think they'd love that series. But again, clutch veteran 
the biggest reason why the Dallas Stars are leading the series. We'll see what Calgary brings tonight with their group. Panthers-Capitals, game four tonight in the nation's capital. I talked about Todd McClellan not overreacting with the two losses um, with the Kings and the way that the Oilers just thrashed the Kings and him not turning to Calvin Peterson, the, the opposing goaltender. I'm looking for Andrew Brunette to do the exact same thing tonight. Was Sergei Bobrovsky good on Saturday afternoon? No, not even close. But was he the only reason that the Panthers lost the game? No. The Panthers lost on Saturday because their defensive system was horrible. They took too many penalties that they couldn't kill off. They're, they're undisciplined, basically. It's the biggest reason they lost, and they have defense, defensive breakdowns. I'm not going to clamor for the Panthers to be a great defensive team because it's just not going to happen. You watch them enough. You know Mackenzie Weger. You know Brandon Montour are going to take unnecessary risks, and they're going to get burned. That's just the way those defensemen play. That's the system that the Florida, Florida plays in the back end, and you need to live with it, period. But if I'm Andrew Brunette, the head coach, I'm going with Bobrovsky tonight because he's still your best goalie. Spencer Knight is the future, but we haven't seen it yet this year. He had an okay season. He had some really he had some spurts where he was almost unplayable. He gets sent to the minors. Bobrovsky's still your best answer to win this series. Because I trust the Panthers roster with Huberto and Barkoff, Duclair, Bennett, Reinhardt. These guys are gonna find the back of the net because looking across the ice. Washington is not a good defensive team either. John Carlson hasn't played well this series at all, but they've got, he's gotten left off the hook. Um, Orlov, these defensemen are not good in Washington. They just aren't, and their net minding is not great either. I don't care if it's Samsonov. I don't care if it's Vanacek. Washington's goaltending will falter eventually. So for Florida, go back with, with the team you had the other night. Have Bobrovsky in the net, and I trust in him. You need to play decent in front of him, but I believe that he's the right answer to go to tonight. He's going to have his warts. He's going he's to have games where he lets in goals where you just shake your head. And as I'm seeing it now, he's confirmed. So I think that's a good decision by Andrew Burnett. I trust the Florida team to come out and play well tonight. They responded after game one. I think they will do the same thing tonight because they they just they're too good of a team to play as bad as they did on Saturday. They had a they had a mulligan game. We've seen throughout the put there's been a lot of blowouts. These Stanley Cup playoffs haven't been that entertaining because there's been so many games that have just been out of hand. Past the second period, you're like, okay, I might as well get some sleep because this game is it, it's a rout. I mean, the games that are close, the games that are, are interesting are few and far between. When you get that, I mean, that triple overtime game between New York and Pittsburgh seems like a distant memory because there's been so many games where it's 5-2, 6-2, 7-3, and you're just, okay, well, this this is it. When when the sieve, when, when there's a leak, it is complete. Your, your house is getting bombarded with water when it comes to this postseason. It was 6-1 for, for Washington um, on Saturday afternoon. It was 5-1 for Florida in game 
in game two. So, so this series has been lopsided on either side. Wouldn't surprise me if we see the same thing tonight. If Florida can get an early lead, I wouldn't doubt Washington falls apart. But I do have to give credit to Washington's veterans. TJ Oshie turning back the clock. Nick Backstrom playing fantastic. I didn't think he would. Um, Alex Ovechkin, who was hurt coming into the playoffs, is playing great. But all these veterans are Pavelski, Ovechkin, Crosby, um, these Perry. All these guys are just still finding a way to contribute, still finding a way to be relevant, be better than their younger counterparts, which is pretty incredible when you think about it. That these old guys, Flurry, I think has been really good in, in the Wild Blue series. The veterans have been better than the young up-and-comers, than the best players in the world, than the Hart Trophy candidates. The playoffs still belong to the veterans at this point. These series, that narrative can change if you see these teams find a way to win. Florida should beat Washington. They're the better team. Calgary should beat Dallas. They're the better team. Edmonton should beat LA. They're the better team. But the, the Canes should beat the Bruins. They're the better team. But that doesn't mean they will. And that brings us to New York, Pittsburgh. To me, New York and Pittsburgh has been the most compelling series so far. I mentioned a lot of blowouts in the other games. To me, and uh, share your thoughts if you have an opinion on this, the most entertaining Stanley Cup playoff series so far. To me, it's Rangers-Pens. As every game has had some intrigue, every game has been interesting. It's been a game going into the third period. And there's so many ups and downs. You have triple overtime. You have Crosby playing fantastic. Panarin making things happen. You have Casey DeSmith pulling himself out of double overtime. And now Louis Domingue, who's getting his 19th chance, is now the starting goalie because Tristan Jari is still hurt. And it's just been so, so entertaining. So many back and forth. So many great players. And Saturday night was no different because I thought this game was great. And you look and it's it's 4-1 four, four Pittsburgh. I'm like, okay, oh, God, another blowout. But the second period, Pittsburgh takes a few penalties and Panarin starts to play and New York starts crawling back. By the end of the period, it's 4-4. Four, four. And Gerard Gallant made the decision to, to pull Igor Shosturkin, who hasn't been great in this series for Georgiev. And what happens is Georgiev lets in a stinker. Danton Heinen lets a shot in from the ice. It should, it's an easy save. It's a peewee goaltender that makes it. But Danton Heinen scores a goal, ends up being the game winner for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And Pittsburgh should not be leaving. I mean, Pittsburgh's playing their third-string goaltender in Louis Domingue, but they are leading this series. And what I will say about Pittsburgh is they are getting great contributions from their stars. Yes, and then Crosby's played great, and then Gensel's been fantastic. But a guy who, to me, stood out as their best player on Saturday night was Evan Rodriguez. Evan Rodriguez brought it on Saturday night. Yes, he scores two goals, but you just watch the way this guy plays. I love the way he plays. He brings energy. He doesn't quit on pucks. He's relentless. He gets to the front of the net and finds a way to make a difference. He had a great start to the season, then he fell off. 
He was the second star of the game, which I don't understand. He had three points, and Dan Heinen got first star for scoring the game-winning goal, but whatever. That's stupid and arbitrary. But Rodriguez just has – he has a way of, of making things – I love the way he plays. But Pittsburgh's got a lot of these guys. Brock McGinn is another guy. He's a, in Carolina. He had an impact when he was there. They, they let him go because they don't like to pay their players. Pittsburgh has had good success with him. Gensel's got four goals in three games. Crosby's been good. But the depth pieces for Pittsburgh have shown up. And I look at New York. Zabinijad and Kreider need to do more because Panarin's been dynamic. I do think he's being a little overblown his impact on this series because I think he's got the puck a lot. He's to the outside a lot. But how many times is he really making things happen? Not not that many, if you ask me. But I look at Kreider's Abinajad as two guys that need to play better. Keandre Miller has to play a better game. And, and simply Igor Shesterkin. Outplay Louis Domingue. Is it really that hard to outplay Louis Domingue, who's a third-string goalie, AHL starter? And I'm not saying it to be demeaning, but Igor Shesterkin is going to win the Vesna Trophy, and you can't outplay an American Hockey League goalie? And yes, New York's defense is banged up. Ryan Lindgren's not playing. That's a tough break. Really good player. But Pittsburgh's best defenseman, Brian Dumoulin, is not playing for them. He hasn't played since game one. So that's not an excuse. But Vetrano's been really good for New York. And Kopp's been fantastic. I, I What a great ad. This player is just, he's clutch. I, I, I like Andrew Kopp a lot. I think he's provided a lot for that New York team and just he's got three goals in three games. But Kreider had 52 in the regular season. So Benajad is is usually fantastic. But the fact that I'm saying Andrew Kopp and Frank Vetrano are providing the offense and are, are dangerous shift and shift out. I mean Capo Caco scored the other night. Capo Caco and Lafreniere. You ex- I do expect more from them. But, you know, you're playing Schneider. You're playing these young defensemen. But Zabinajad played 20 minutes. He had two shots on goal. You need to bring more to the table. He's passing the pucks too much, if you ask me. He's trying to force a pass that isn't there. Adam Fox is doing what he can, but he played 27 minutes the other night. But you look and you're – they got Keandre. But when you don't have Lindgren – it really makes their defense thing because Patrick Nemeth is, I don't know who they have available, but I would insert him for Patrick Nemeth because he was just on roller skates the other night. But Pittsburgh's depth has been better than New York's. Pittsburgh's stars have been better than New York's. Crosby and Gensel have been better than Panarin and Fox, in my in my opinion. Latang's played fantastic. He's played big minutes. I think he's played solid in those minutes. And the goaltending of Pittsburgh, what it was the Smith in game one and then Domingue the other night. Yes, he led in four goals. He wasn't perfect, but he was better than Shesterkin. Shesterkin got pulled. Tonight, it's game four in Pittsburgh. New York has no history with this group of winning big series, of winning big games. They need to come out and win tonight. Point blank. I think it's a must win for them. Head back to New York, tied 2-2. You have the better team. You have the better goaltender. Both teams are hurt. Both teams are banged up, missing important pieces. But you need to find a way to win tonight. 
This should be the Igor Shesterkin game where it doesn't matter what Pittsburgh is throwing at you. You make the saves tonight because you that's just the way it is. You're in a position, you're in a position, you're down 2-1. Was it your fault that Georgiev let in a terrible goal with, with Danton Heinen on Saturday night? No, but it was your fault that you got pulled because you let in some bad ones in that game. But for New York, I don't think this team wants to go back to NYC down 3-1 because you're playing against a team that has had they haven't had playoff success the last number of years, but they have in the past. Crosby looks good. They still believe this Pittsburgh team still believes that they have one more kick at the can, that they still can win a Stanley Cup with this core. Don't give them the op- opportunity to advance because I think you get a team like Pittsburgh into a second round where they would meet the winner of Boston, Carolina. That's a pick em series. Either team, in my opinion. Because, again, Carolina plays a system that's boring, that they, they don't create a lot offensively. Pittsburgh, with, with that core, again, that Louis Domingue is obviously a worry, but if Tristan Jari can come back, Pittsburgh's used to starting two, three goalies in, in a playoff run where they win a cup. In 2017, they started Zatkoff, they started Murray, they started Flurry, they, they started everybody. Jeff Zatkoff, remember him? He started games. They're used to starting two, three goalies in a, in a postseason, and they find a way to win it. Don't give a team like Pittsburgh that chance because they could go on a run, and before you know it, they have another Stanley Cup. Because I would, I will never underestimate Sidney Crosby. Never, because that's a loser's race. Betting against him is not smart. It's just not smart money. It's not good business. But, um, yeah. But I would for New York tonight must win. And we'll talk about we'll talk about feast or famine in the, in the betting segment um, to close out the show later. And then finally, we got Avalanche Predators. The final series talk about Avalanche are up 3-0 in this series. They can close it out tonight in Nashville. Um, injury for Darcy Kemper the other night. He hurts his hurts his eye after Ryan Johansson's stick got stuck in his mask and. Could have been a nasty injury, but he survives it. It, it. He's okay. But they're going to sit him out tonight, and I think they're hoping that they can get the sweep, he can get some rest, and they can kind of just sit at home and wait for the winner of Minnesota-St. Louis and wait for their next opponent full, well-rested and ready to go. But um, Pavel Francoz will get the start tonight. He had a solid season. was 15-5-1, 9-16 save percentage. He's not a, a fantastic goalie. But Nashville, UC Saros is still not available, and they're going with Connor Ingram. And Connor Ingram's numbers don't look great. He's got a 371 goals against, 879 save percentage. But he played his heart out in game two. They almost won that game, but Makar, who's just been fantastic, got the game winner, let in some bad goals on Saturday. But I think Colorado closed it out. They're just too good of a team. It's a terrible matchup for Nashville. They're banged up. And Colorado looks good. They always look good in the first round, though. They always they either sweep or they win in five. It's always an easy series, and every time they seem to find a way to, to falter. My mother asked me yesterday, "Well, this St. Louis and Minnesota game is really slow, and you know, do you think either of these teams can beat Colorado?" Yeah, I can't. I do. I think I think either team can. 
I think I, I picked St. Louis to get the Stanley Cup final. They're going to have to beat Colorado to get there. And it was a big win for St. Louis yesterday to get past Minnesota. Bennington made some big saves. AARP line with Perron O'Reilly came up huge again. Because Tarasenko, I don't know if he's back in Russia with Putin, but he's done nothing this series. Robert Thomas has been quiet. But in their wins, Perron and O'Reilly, the two veteran, the two, the two, another couple veteran clutch guys have shown up. St. Louis's defense core is mangled right now with no Nick Letty and no Bertuzzo and no Tory Krug, but they keep in certain players and they keep finding ways to win. But Colorado looks fantastic. Kale McCarr is one of the most dynamic defensemen in the history of the NHL. I don't know if there's anyone that's been like him. I think he has some Scott Niedermeyer in him with this, how he controls the point, gets shots through skates. Obviously, he skates a lot better than Niedermeyer, but I do think they have some things in common in the way that they approach the game. He's also a physical guy, and I think Niedermeyer was a, was a physical guy for his size. But, um, you know, McKinnon looks good. Kadri hasn't been suspended. That's a good sign. But I still look at them, and I, I will never trust that team because I've, I've, I've heard it every year. Well, this team's the best team. They should win the Stanley Cup, and they always find a way to falter. And it's not like they falter at the one-yard line. They falter at midfield. They can get halfway through the game, and they, they check out. So I give them credit. I, th- I think they'll sweep tonight. I think they get, get out of Nashville unscathed. But – that I that does not mean that they are I'm any more confident in this team. You're beating a team that you should beat in Nashville that doesn't have their number one goalie that's beat up and that's in in over their head. I think Dallas would have been a tougher series, but you got Nashville. You were the best team in the West, so you get the better matchup. But I still have my worries about Colorado. I still don't again. I don't trust them until I'll see them do it. I will always have questions because every single year, the past two or three, well, Colorado is the, the, the favorite to win the Stanley Cup. They haven't won it. Haven't got to a Stanley Cup final. D- didn't get to a conference final. So are they really the favorite or are they just the team in the regular season that plays great, that dominates the division, and then you, you get to the playoffs and they disappear? They have an opportunity to prove it. They're going to win the first-round series easily. They're going to get some rest. We'll see what they can bring in round two. But that's uh, game four tonight. Ingram will get the start against Pavel Francos. That's 10.30. So tonight we got um, Panthers caps at eight, Rangers penguins at eight, Preds Preds avalanche at 10.30, and Stars flames at 10.30. So uh, we got three nothing series and a pair of uh, three two to one series. So we'll see what happens yesterday. Every series went to 2-2. So every series is tight. Every series is – and we'll see if the Panthers can respond tonight, if the Rangers can, and if the Flames can get a win in Dallas. See Walker in the chat. Caps and five, they still got a chance. I don't believe it's going to happen, but your Caps are are playing well. The veterans are are playing fantastic. Ovechkin, Kuznetsov, I hate that stupid bird dance, but he's doing it. Um, Oshie has been, been clutch. Uh, but yeah, good, good on the Washington Capitals because they had, they were, had made the playoffs since December, but they really just 
slept walk into the postseason with goaltending that was peewee like and they've they found it here and um you know they they play extremely well and they get the winner of the if they do get by florida they get the winner of the tampa uh toronto series they have some history with tampa they are the they beat tampa a number of years ago when washington won the stanley cup so who knows i mean you you, you advance you just need to, to keep winning you get a right situation who knows how far you can go they've they beat in Toronto. They beat in Tampa in series. So Washington does have that going for them if they can get by the Florida Panthers. We'll see what they can do tonight in game four. Before we get to our bets of the day and the new feast or famine se- uh, segment, I want to talk about um, UFC for a second. Well, we're going to talk NBA tomorrow with uh, Sheamus. When he joins, we'll talk about Luka Doncic. And the situation with Chris Paul and and uh, uh, Joel Embiid in his big game, and if James Harden is back to Houston, uh, James Harden. But the UFC is growing by the day, getting more popular by the day, and to me, it's one of the most fascinating sports in the world. I don't miss an event. I watch the pay per view until two thirty in the morning on Saturday and thoroughly enjoyed watching the fights. And although there was a stinker in there with, with uh, Rose Namajunas and uh, Carla Esparza, which was the worst fight in the history of the sport. It was, it almost put me to sleep. Like I was nearly out, but I was staying away because I wanted to see Charles Oliveira do his business in, in the octagon. But when the UFC released last week their schedule for their pay-per-view on July 2nd, which is after Canada Day, which is my favorite day of the year. So you have my favorite day of the year. It's on a Friday this year, thankfully. And the next night you have UFC 276 with Canada and you have uh, Adianza. You got Holloway, Volvanovsky, three. You got Misha Tate, Lauren Murphy. You got Pedro Munoz and Sugar Sean O'Malley, who I think is the most entertaining guy in the UFC right now. It it's stacked. This summer is gonna, and this sport continues to deliver on great fights. And what? Why are these fights great? Because we know who the fighters are. This the sport is doing a fantastic job at branding. There's they're fighters. Sugar Sean O'Malley is not a ranked guy. He's not a guy that's fought for a title. He's done nothing in the UFC in, in broad strokes. But we know who he is. We know how entertaining he is. And that, that's on the sport for doing that. Michael Chandler came from Bellator. People may not watch it. Now he's a, now he's a star in the sport. Um, Charles Oliveira, you, you just look and you find it. Kamara Usman is a well-known guy. I think Dana White deserves a ton of credit for just keeping these guys relevant, for the sport being as popular as it is. And more and more, these fighters are becoming more and more well-known. Like, I am an avid watcher. I love it. Like, this weekend, I think it's a great fight night this weekend. If you're not a big UFC fan, these names won't mean much to you. But Jan Blachowicz is going to fight Alexander Rakic in the light heavyweight division. The winner of that fight just might get an opportunity at the winner of uh, Glover Teixeira and Yuri Prisaka next month for the title, potentially. 
but I, I, I just, I, I give a hundred, I give so much props to Dana White. I give him shit sometimes because I do think he's a, he's a little full of shit sometimes. But I heard him interviewed on the Pivot, which is a good podcast. I listened to that um, this morning, and. I have a new perspective on Dana White, um, and I just think he's a no-bullshit guy. I think I'd get along with him really well, honestly. Um, and I, I just – I give credit. I mean – and also the product is fantastic. Michael Chandler nearly killed Tony Ferguson. He kicked him in the head, and his face looked like it was going to be pushed all the way in. It was the craziest knockout I've seen personally, and I've watched a lot of fights. Charles Oliveira missed weight. It was all kinds of drama, all kinds of intrigue because it, first time ever a champion did not make weight. But he fights Justin Gaethje. Justin Gaethje, who's got great power, puts him on his ass in the first round. But Gaethje able to recover, and he beats Gaethje in the first round and with a choke and makes him tap out. He is one of the best in the world. He's a bad man. And I want to see the UFC book him and Islam Makachev for the interim belt now. Cause I think those two, it'll be a great fight because they're both so well, they're so good at wrestling and maybe books a different fight, but then, but then you still got Kamsat Shamayev. I mean, this sport is growing and my advice, you know, to everybody, I know there's only so many sports you can watch. It's on late at night, but you could buy a pay-per-view uh, this weekend, fight nights on TSN, PVR it, watch a few fights, and just listen to, listen to the commentary, listen to, to them speak before the event. It's interesting. You don't know you like a sport until you watch it. Like anything. You don't know you watch a show until you, you go a few episodes in. I, think, I know a lot of people that say, oh, I don't like The Office. It's not funny. First two episodes weren't that good. You get into the show, you will love it. You'll love it. Mad Men, same thing. Um Anything you got to give something, some things you're just not going to like. But I think for a lot of people out there that are huge sports fans, and you're not the, a UFC fan right now, watch a little bit of it. Just just watch a few fights, DVR it, watch it the next morning. Nothing wrong with that. You don't have to stay up late. You still get to enjoy it. And what are you going to watch at 8 a.m. when you're up, uh, letting the dogs out, whatever you're doing before you go to work? Or Sunday, don't got to go to work for most people. Uh, or you want to come back and you're early afternoon, nothing on. Jays aren't on yet. Whatever you're doing, hey, let's watch the fights from last night. Let's see what Jan Blahovich did to Alexander Rockage because I think you'll get hooked. Because I did. I love it. I I think it's great. But you got July. You got July first, Canada Day, and then you got UFC 276 July second, which I think the most stacked card in the history of the promotion. But it was an okay card this weekend. Like I said, the Esparza Namajunas fight was a snooze fest. But Chandler, Tony Ferguson looked good until Chandler destroyed his face. But I'm excited to see Tony fight again because he looked like the vintage Tony Ferguson. He looked good. He looked really good in the ring. Like in that first round, he knocked Chandler on his ass. I think he can he can refine what he had. Maybe not as good as he once was, but he looked strong in that fight. And Chandler is. is is great. You know, he's box office. He's highlight reel. I don't need to see him fight Oliviera yet. If he wants to fight McGregor and just knock him the fuck out for all of us as a combined audience, I'm all for it because Connor brings nothing to the table. He should just go away. But 
nevertheless. He'll fight again. It'll be a big card. I'll watch it, but I don't care about Conor McGregor. Chandler is actually a good fighter, while McGregor no longer is. Now, let's get to, let's get to Feast or Famine. This is our betting segment. This is going to be every day as I get a cramp in my leg. But we're this is going to be an everyday thing. I'm going to look at the uh, I'm going to look at FanDuel Sportsbook, the odds. Um, something I probably do every Thursday or Friday is I'll uh, give you a golf bet that I like. I like to bet guys to either make the top five or bet outside the top five. So, for instance, on Saturday morning, Jason Day was leading by three strokes, ten under par at the Wells Fargo in Maryland. I knew Jason Day would not stay that well, would not play that well. And he, what, what happens, he shoots an eight over on Saturday. I didn't think he'd shoot that bad, but I bet that he'd finish outside the top five. He finished 19th. So let's look. Tonight, NBA, you got Celtics, Bucks. Um, on FanDuel right now, you can bet method of first basket. First basket of the game is a Giannis dunk. I like that, personally. Um, I, I think there's a good chance that happens. Um, that, that's one that that's at plus 1900. I'm going to, I'm going to put, I'm going to, that's going to be part of it. I like Giannis first basket of the game is a Giannis dunk Milwaukee. I like that. So take that's at plus 1900. Let's throw whatever you want to bet on 10 bucks a buck. Let's do a little parlay. I like the um, the Florida Panthers to win tonight. Uh, they are at uh, minus one and a half, so they are the, they are the favorite. I like the Panthers to win tonight. The over under is six and a half. It's been a high scoring series. Six and a half is a lot. You got the seven goals. It has in uh, every game but two so far this series. But I think we're going to see a, a more tight game. I. Tampa, uh, Florida will still have some defensive breakdowns. Caps are not a great team, but I think I could see it being a five, a four-two game. So I'm going to go with the under. So I like Caps, Florida under there, and I'm also going to take the Rangers. They're minus one and a half. I like the Rangers to win tonight. So just to recap, I got the Rangers at minus one and a half to win to uh, to win tonight. I got Florida at minus one and a half. I got first basket of the game for Bucks Celtics is a Giannis Antetokounmpo dunk. And I'm also going to take the Celtics plus one tonight. I like the Celtics, you, you give me a point. I think the Celtics win tonight. Game four in Milwaukee. I think they go back tie series. So I like the Celtics. I like the first basket of that game, Giannis Antetokounmpo, dunk. I like Panthers and the Rangers. I'll post that on the uh, To The Point Facebook uh, story. But that's going to be it for today. Great show. Glad to be back. We'll be back tomorrow. Seamus Fulmer will be back in the uh, the local hour. So he'll be, he'll be coming in. Lots of guests scheduled for this week. So it should be a fun week. Lots of hockey to break down. And... Um, enjoy the games tonight. Enjoy the nice weather out there and we'll see you guys tomorrow here on to the point.